Happy New Year and welcome to Series 7 of I Am, I Have, brought to you by Happiful Magazine and Counselling Directory. Today I'm joined by clinical psychologist Dr Julie Smith and we'll be focusing on the subject of burnout, as well as her brilliant new book, Why Has Nobody Told Me This Before? We'll also be chatting about the impact of her supportive social media content around mental health and well-being. We know that the subject of burnout is a huge one and pressing for many of us. You know, there's this drive for be more, do more, you know, all of that kind of thing. And, and actually the cost of that is the queue of people outside the therapy room door saying I'm completely burnt out and I don't know what I'm doing with my life now. I think my health is down the drain. There is a price to pay for relentless productivity that doesn't prioritise your health. Dr. Julie offers her thoughts on the causes, practical advice on what to do when you're moving towards burnout and the everyday tools that can help. Before we start today's episode, I'd love to encourage you to download the free Happiful app. You can read our digital magazine whenever and wherever you want and search for the perfect therapist, life coach, nutritionist or hypnotherapist for you. I hope you enjoy listening to this episode as much as I love talking to Dr. Julie Smith. We'd love it if you could rate, review and share I Am, I Have. It helps us to know what you'd like to hear more of and allows other people to find us. On today's podcast, I have the privilege of welcoming Dr. Julie Smith. Julie is a clinical psychologist who also shares amazing and supportive mental health content across social media and has most recently written a phenomenal book, Why Has Nobody Told Me This Before? Today, we'll be talking about Dr. Julie's work on and offline and the subject of burnout, which we know is a huge one for our listeners. So welcome, Dr. Julie. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Obviously, we've seen a huge amount of you on social media, but now I've got chance to to read your book as well. There is so much we want to talk about, but let's start with you telling us what you think we should know about you. Sure. Well, uh, I'm a clinical psychologist. I, I worked in the NHS for ten years, uh, ten years, uh, and started a very small private practice so that I could sort of manage work more easily around my children and things like that. And during that time, I had lots of people coming along for therapy who, once they had the sort of educational aspect of therapy, so lots of people don't realise that uh, you know therapy isn't just about talking. You kind of learn a little bit about how your mind works, how you can influence your emotions and your mood and things like that. And for a lot of people, once they had that bit of education, they were sort of raring to go. They they found that so empowering that, so that they felt that they could sort of manage their own mental health day to day more easily. And so I would sort of harp on at home about how, you know, this information should be more available. <laughs> People shouldn't have to pay to come and see someone like me to find out these sort of life skills. And so my husband said, well, go on then, make it available and, you know, go put something on YouTube or something like that. So we did. We started to make a couple of videos initially for YouTube and, um, and at the same time discovered TikTok. And so we started to make some really short videos with just sort of bite-sized bits of information for people to take on board. You know, I was really nervous about it. I thought, gosh, I'm going to be trolled or booed out of there. And, you know, I thought, well, if it doesn't work out, we can just delete it and pretend it never happened. As it happens, people wanted that kind of information and it just sort of blew up within a matter of weeks. And that was the November before the first lockdown. So it just became this huge roller coaster ride. And we're now on, uh, I think, 3 million followers on TikTok and then another half million on Instagram and more on, on YouTube. So it's it's become this sort of big community of really supportive, 
kind people who are really, you know, people ask me about trolling, things like that, but they're, they're such a supportive community who are all keen to learn about, you know, how they can um, keep themselves well and help themselves to thrive and that sort of thing. So uh, two years on, here we are. It's incredible. I mean, as you said, three over three million people on TikTok, half a million on Instagram, who are all wanting to know more about how they can support themselves, their mental health, their daily health, resilience. And your content really taps into that because it's, as you said, bite-sized pieces of information that really resonate with people. The amount of times I've watched one of your posts and gone, oh, yes. <laughs> and it's really made me take something on board, whether that's about, you know, talking to myself more compassionately or thinking about the way I'm behaving in my work life. I think it really is hitting home with people. Do you have a sense of, of what that is and why it is resonating so much? I think I've tried to keep everything very much based on, on the things that we all face. And, and that's definitely how I've structured the book as well, is looking at rather than sort of clinical diagnoses is, is about the the stresses and strains that we all face. So, you know, there's a section on low mood and there's a section on uh, you know, fear and anxiety on, on motivation, on stress, on relationships, and all those sorts of things. So, you know, the, the, the sorts of life problems that we all face at some point, and there are these sets of skills that help us to get through, you know, they don't make your life a problem free, but they're tools to help you take on those problems and, and get through to the other side. And you just mentioned the book there, and this is your first book. Why has nobody told me this before? As you said, you have different chapters on issues that affect us all in life. Tell us a bit about what you put in the book and how you want people to use that book. Sure. Well, I want it to be a resource. You know, the short form video platforms were incredible for helping me to reach lots of people, but you're restricted to that, you know, 60 second limit on your videos. So there's only so much detail you can get into the, a video. I had lots of feedback from people saying, I'd love more details on this, or how can I do that? And I want it step-by-step. Step. And so we've started to put sort of some longer videos on YouTube with some of those step-by-steps. But I also wanted this, this one place where people could go to, you know, you could keep it on your coffee table. And then as, you know, different things get thrown at you in life that you could dip in, go right to that section and look at, okay, what helps? What's helped other people in these sorts of scenarios? Uh, and how can I use those, you know, with some really clear detailed step-by-step. Step. So I, you know, I've kept it all, you know, those normal problems that we all face at some point. And also things like, you know, how to help other people, because for every person who's struggling with something, they're surrounded in family and friends who are thinking, oh, I'm not really sure how to support them. I don't know what I'm, what I'm supposed to say or what I'm supposed to do. So there's also a section on that and how you can kind of support someone who's struggling. So I just really wanted it to be this toolbox for everybody, because it's, you know, you don't have to have a clinical diagnosis to make use of some of the skills that are taught in therapy. And that comes across so strongly in the book. And also the fact that because we are experiencing something, because we are feeling something, it doesn't make it a fact that we can start to use the questions, some of the questions in your book to perhaps shift our perception and, and that it's not always good enough to just say, think good thoughts, feel better, you know, that kind of toxic positivity. There are lots of things that will feed into how we feel at any moment in time. And sometimes the best thing to do is kind of give ourselves a bit of distance between what we feel and you know looking at that and I think that's such an incredible concept that obviously you talk about all the time and is a huge part of therapy but 
until I read it in the book, it didn't really it didn't really occur to me how important it is to put distance between ourselves and our moods and our feelings. Yeah, that it's it's something that happens to you. It's an experience rather than who you are as such. Your notion that emotions are information, I think, really stood out for me. It's a it's a great piece of information that those emotions are telling us something. Thank you. Talking about emotions and feelings, today we're going to talk about burnout. And I'm so grateful to you for coming on to talk about this because we know for a fact that this is something our audiences really, really want to hear more about. Over the past couple of years with both Counseling Directory and Happiful, people have been researching burnout because it's been a tough couple of years. I mean, we're now in 2022, but the last two years have been significantly difficult on a number of different levels for a number of different people. And although we might have just had Christmas, a lot of people will have worked through that. Or as we know, when you have families, no matter what your family looks like, even a festive season can be work and can be taxing emotionally. So let's talk about burnout. And perhaps you could start by telling us how you define burnout. But what does burnout mean? So burnout started, it was conceptualized by researchers who were uh, looking into chronic workplace stress. And that's why if you, if you look it up on things like um, the World Health Organization websites and stuff like that, they will say, you know, um, this only applies to workplace stress and shouldn't be applied elsewhere. But that is because that's where the research started. because there was profit to be made in working out how to keep your your staff well and so that's where all the you know the research has been done you know as a clinician who's worked with people outside of paid employment you know I I see that same collection of symptoms in people who are unpaid carers parents foster parents you know all sorts of people who aren't in paid employment still experience burnout in in my opinion so it's a and it's not a clinical diagnosis it's not something you go to your doctor and be diagnosed with it's not a disorder it's this this collection of symptoms or a syndrome that if it's present would have a significant impact on your mental health and your physical health so it's a really serious health issue that we can't ignore you have to address it and if you don't address it it will find a way of outing itself if you like yeah absolutely Uh, you know it's when you think about sort of chronic stress it's it's a bit like taking money out of a bank account so if you've got a certain degree of resources so you've got a certain amount of money in that bank account and continuing on with chronic stress and not addressing it is a bit like just withdrawing money without ever putting any back in you know you need some level of replenishment Otherwise, there is a point at which you reach it, reach zero and you, you feel like you've got nothing left. And then, you know, then there's sort of big amounts of time off work and much more intense problems. That was a great analogy that you had there. And you also talk in your book about it's like driving a car in second gear on the motorway. You can do it, but there's ultimately going to be some damage. And I wondered whether burnout is something that you've dealt with personally as well as professionally I'm a mother of three young children and also trying to you know run a business and earn money and so any any I say working parent but any parent actually or working individual can can relate and you know I think there are times especially through the pandemic where lots of us have become emotionally physically or mentally sort of exhausted by prolonged stress as we're trying to kind of get through difficult times and and so you know, everyone coming through the pandemic 
will probably have some some degree of sort of relatability to that that idea of that sort of emotional exhaustion that can hit you and especially when I you know I, I sort of started my very small private practice so that I could have a really good balance in life and be there for the children and control my working hours and then once I started the the social media work and it really took off I you know it will just gobble up as much time as you're willing to give it so I have to be really quite conscious in my decisions now about how I balance the week and you know taking you know a day back to be with my smallest son who's not at school yet and things like that so that I don't burn out myself I have to kind of practice what I preach people will relate to that as a as a parent as someone who's working you know and as you said even if you're not a parent or you're working or whatever your circumstances are there will be a point at which with everything else that's going on in the world you can get depleted I wondered whether this is something you've seen in your practice increase not just over the past two years with the pandemic but generally have you seen an increase in people reporting or talking about what you perceive to be burnout well certainly the the content that I've been producing on on burnout has received lots of feedback so lots of people are sort of resonating with it and thinking oh hang on this is me what what now and and people sort of asking for tips and things like that um but also the data shows that you know burnout seems to be even more of a problem and also lots of people who were working from home during the pandemic felt like they weren't being productive enough but were actually being more productive than they would have been uh at work because things like the daily commute and you know lunchtime breaks going out to get sandwiches or whatever those small pockets of time during the day were actually breaks that were being filled up with just sitting at the desk and continuing to work so you know people were getting more done but then feeling more drained by you know not having those pockets of time I can completely agree with that and also the idea of working from home and being in the home and feeling like there were things I could do in the pocket of time when I would usually go and make a cup of tea and chat to someone perhaps I was putting on a a load of washing or you know, kind of cramming that time and feeling like almost masking uh, anxiety with productivity, which can can leave you feeling quite burnt out. Yeah, some of those sort of smaller things can can give you a little bit of a sense of control in the chaos, can't they? You know, if you if you can manage to get the house clean or if you can manage to um, get X, Y and Z done and clear the desk, then things will feel a bit more manageable. And there's something to be said for that to a degree, but also I think in our culture, there's this real, this real idea that that productivity is is sort of linked to our self worth in some way, and and then it becomes difficult to take breaks because people feel guilty about about not doing something productive, and then it, uh, you know instead of seeing taking a break as uh, something that you do to maintain your health in the same way that you do when you're cleaning your teeth in the morning, you know, you, you're looking after your dental health. It's just something you do. Whereas sitting down to take a break has become this thing that's associated with laziness rather than good health, which is needs addressing. I think you're so right. And it's something that we hear quite a lot and we write about quite a lot is putting in that time to rest. And it should be a, it should be a natural part of your daily flow is that you have that downtime and yet, you know, with the the culture perhaps that's emerged, you know, the, those words, things like side hustle and, you know, the, the need to learn, the need to keep on improving and evolving. It's almost as if there is a, a pushback against rest. Do you see that in, in your clients and people that you talk to as well? 
Yeah, absolutely. And online and, you know, I was on the radio yesterday when they were talking about it, people, loads of people were calling in. So these sort of um, self-help gurus as well online saying, you know, you sleep when you're dead and get up earlier and, you know, all those kind of things. And you just, you know, there's this drive for be more, do more, you know, all of that kind of thing. And, and actually the cost of that is, you know, the queue of people outside the therapy room door saying I'm completely burnt out and I don't know what I'm doing with my life now. And my health is down the drain. There is a price to pay for relentless productivity that doesn't prioritize your health. That's fantastic. And perhaps we can go on to burnout itself and, and how you might start to see that in somebody. What would be the signs? Obviously, everybody is completely different. But yeah. what would be the signs of burnout, perhaps in ourselves or in others that we could look out for? Sure. So, you know, you're probably everyone probably has an idea of the signs of their own stress levels going up. So it might be, you know, some people might get lower mood or they might have pockets of anxiety throughout the day. There might be sleep disturbance. Some people get either struggle to fall asleep or struggle to stay asleep. There might be that sort of tired, but wired feeling, you know, you're exhausted from your day, but you're still not able to sleep because you're worrying about lots of things. There might be sort of conflict in your relationships because you're both stressed and, and tired and, and then not sort of um, dealing with things in the way that you normally would. You might withdraw socially. You might feel less able to kind of focus or concentrate at work and you might lose your sense of satisfaction at work as well. And that might be paid employment, but I think it could be anything else too. You know, that you might lose that sense of the rationale for why you're doing that thing that normally drives you or normally makes you feel satisfied when you you know reach certain goals and stuff like that so you might sort of lose motivation for those things and it all just sort of starts to deteriorate and that you know some people kind of set up stages of burnout but I think less about stages and more of a sort of continuum it's on a, a continuum that gradually increases so it can creep up on you over a matter of months or even years so we have to get good at recognizing the signs of stress in ourselves and seeing them as something we have to take note of you know it's a serious health issue stress is meant to be a short-term measure for our bodies and and it works really well to keep you know keep us going if we use it in the short term but if it's if it's in the long term like we we're saying about the either the bank account sort of metaphor of keep taking money out or the idea of sort of driving on the motorway in second gear it's only so long you can do that for before you're going to reach some problems so um sort of getting i think sort of getting to grips with what stress looks like in your body and in your mind and then responding to it is really important that's a great overview of of all the different ways it can touch your life and there was something that you mentioned in the book which I was really intrigued about which is that sense of detachment and I think it's something that we've again we've seen lots of people searching for you know feeling detached feeling like nothing hits them in terms of whether it's positive or negative it just feels like everything even socializing or, or seeing people they love feels like part of the chore of life you know things that have to be done is there anything you can say about that and that kind of feeling of detachment yeah I think sometimes that can you know indicate as well um so you know it's a, it's a sign of depression it's not it's not enough in of itself but it was it would be something of concern you know if someone if someone was unable to sort of feel anything there's this idea that that depression is uh, lots of intense sadness and actually for a lot of people it can be an absence of emotion. So you might struggle to feel joy and excitement and love even, 
but you, you, you know, you also struggle to feel sadness. So you just feel numb and you just feel empty or you feel detached from everybody around you. And, and that kind of really difficult place to be really difficult to, to, to feel that way. I think that's a sign of, you know, you should be kind of seeking some sort of support to investigate whether that is linked to depression or something else. But certainly, you know, given that given that burnout can lead to depression itself, um, it could be a sign that you're a little way down the road with the burnout and it really needs addressing. And you talked about getting help for burnout. So what can we do when we recognize that we're at the point of burnout? I think the first thing is to take it seriously, um, as you would with any other health issue. So if you had signs of physical health problems, you would really get to grips with what those symptoms were, start the process of sort of reporting them to a health professional or uh, you're doing some research about what that could mean and what might help. So starting with taking it seriously, you know, setting in motion, addressing it. And you can kind of look at the way that your your life is is set out now. What are all the demands on you? You know, if you're starting to recognize, actually, this feels a lot like burnout. What are all the demands that you're facing that are creating, you know, huge amounts of stress? And most of us can't really choose the stress that we face. You know, life happens. And if you're waiting for some, you know, frightening results from um, your doctor, or maybe you're dealing with anxiety about something else in life, those sorts of things that we can't control, you know, they can be there. And then there are sort of other things that might add to the stress even more and compound it and make things more difficult. So there'll be some things in that equation we can do something about. And there are other things that perhaps we need some, some tools to help us tolerate. And they might be things like rest and things like that. So it's really kind of, I think, looking at your life getting things down on paper almost mapping it out in the way that you would do in in therapy really where you kind of get things on paper and you can get that bird's eye view of it and then you kind of look at okay where in this can I make some manageable small changes they're gonna that are gonna help me get through this um that won't necessarily you know change everything there are lots of problems that you can't get rid of but how can you sort of replenish in, in small ways even that are going to help you to get through. So the small breaks might be really, really important as well. So if you have a stressful job that you have to be doing at this point, because you have to keep a roof over your head, maybe those small breaks between meetings are filled with checking your emails on your phone and um, going off to help somebody else do something or taking on another task. But those small windows of opportunity can be rest. You know, you can wander out to your car, sit in the car for 10 minutes, you know, set time on your phone and close your eyes for 10 minutes. And that becomes a really helpful, you know, it's quite surprising when you take those small breaks, but you take them and you make them good quality rest, how replenishing they can be. But we we fill all those gaps, those in-between moments with more stress. So it's, you know, it's taking things back a little bit. And then, you know, obviously getting sort of professional help to look at things from a sort of bigger scale and looking at, you know, making changes in other ways as well. And you're an advocate for both meditation and using breathing. And I love the way you talk about it because you talk about it in a very straightforward way. And you say, you know, you don't have to be spending your days lighting incense and, you know, meditating for hours. But actually, like you just said, going out to your car and, you know, resting for 10 minutes rather than putting in another load of washing and trying to get some semblance of control within the household can really help. Can you talk a bit about breathing and meditation and the role that they can play? 
you know, there's just huge amounts of research now on uh, mindfulness meditation and how helpful that can be in so many ways. It's really difficult in a world that is is shouting at us all to be more and more productive all of the time to to sit and do nothing. You know, it's really it's boring to start with. And you get this stampede of voices in your head telling you that all the things you should be doing right now. So in my experience, actually, personally, but also working with people and teaching other people is that that's some, sometimes the most difficult part of it is that urge to be doing other stuff. It's not something that gives you immediate results. So particularly if you're doing mindfulness, it's not restful necessarily. Sometimes it can be stressful because you might think of things that you perhaps don't want to be thinking about, or you might find it really difficult and think, oh, my mind is so busy today and you find it hard to sort of concentrate. Yeah, it's, it's not an easy thing to take on. Um, but you know, the research is there that, you know, if you are interested in learning about it and you're willing to commit to something, you know, learning a new skill, I don't know anyone who has taken on a meditation practice and committed to it that hasn't then gone on to, to experience benefits. And actually I'll often get people in, in therapy who'll say, um, I've reached a, a difficult time. Things are a bit worse, but I haven't meditating for like three weeks. And I know I need to go back to it because it helps, you know, you kind of realize how helpful it is when you stop. And that's interesting to hear both the research, but also the feedback from clients and, you know, people recognizing that when they stop the meditation, actually they are seeing an increase in, in feeling stressed. It's, it's good to get those kind of firsthand reports from you. We've just entered a new year and around this time of year people talk about new year's resolutions we're not so hot on that at Happiful. we we think it's just about doing the best you can every day but if we were going to make some promises to ourselves to prevent burnout as much as we can in the months that are coming up what do you think we could be doing getting really honest with yourself uh, you know being prepared to sit down look at you know your schedule of life and, and the things that are adding stress to you but also doing something that I've included in the book as well is is called a something I call a values check-in where you you write down the things that are important to you right now so it might be you know it's really important to me to parent in the way that I want to parent and it's really important to me to um, be the partner or the friend that I want to be and to be a, a you know this type of colleague in my team at work and you know you can really kind of map those out then you get this picture of what's most important you know stress with meaning is slightly different to stress that that doesn't feel it has meaning we kind of pile our lives up with all of these responsibilities some of which we need and um, help us to make life feel more meaningful and others not so much so you know doing a little values checking can help you work out what's really important to me and what can go. And if something's not important to you, but it's bringing lots of stress, then it's working out, you know, where can I, where can I make some changes? What I love about your suggestions is that they are completely doable. They're completely doable with a pad and a piece of paper, writing things down. We know our audiences love writing things down as we do, but also it gives you that, that level of detachment to be able to look at things in black and white on the page and really think about it. So I would invite anybody listening to go and do that. 
also look at the article we'll be writing about Dr. Julie on our website because there'll be some hints on that. But also do get her book because I am loving it and I have a whole new notebook just to do your exercises. Oh, yeah, um, I've in put the in some year. things in the back as well that kind of help you work through the values check-ins and help you to kind of break it down and make it easier to, you know, it's difficult to explain, but um, it makes it a bit simpler. Well, it's wonderful to have a guide. And just before we finish, you've talked about working with a mental health professional. Can you say anything more about that, about finding a mental health professional to work with? Obviously, you are a clinical psychologist. For somebody who's listening to this who hasn't gone through working with a therapist before and is thinking about it for the first time, what would you say to them? Do you know, it's, it's something that's come up a lot and has actually um, kept me going through all the social media stuff is... The, the feedback that you know pe- lots of people would message and say that post you did really inspired me to seek some help I started therapy a few weeks ago it's really helping thank you so much you know I feel almost emotional kind of talking about it because there are just loads that come through where people have been inspired to seek help and it's only once you do you realize just how life-changing it can be therapy is this place you can go to that feels scary at first because everything that's new feels scary right that's just normal and that's something I would often have that conversation on sort of the very first session with people that you know it's the hardest bit you just got to talk on that first session and a few sessions in your therapist becomes your go-to you know and and the therapy room becomes your sanctuary where you can go and there's no judgment and you've got someone who is going to be completely honest with you and hold you to account on things and help you work out what path you want to take next um and you know i just it's it's an incredible journey that people can take on and a massive you know investment in yourself yeah for anyone even contemplating it if it's possible to you and it's available to you they go for it absolutely that's wonderful and also arming yourself with as much knowledge and information uh, to support you in practical ways in between is is great and just a final note on your book because obviously you talk about some of the common mental health knowledge gaps and I wondered if you could share a few of those so that people can kind of take that away and think about it a little bit more. Certainly something that I wanted people to take away from the book about mental health is that we shouldn't treat it any different to physical health. Health is health and if if we can you know I'd love for one day it to be just as normal to um, say to someone oh I can't come I've got a therapy appointment as it would be to say oh I've just got to go to my GP appointment first you know that sort of that it would just become normal to look after your mental health and and that people would feel able to talk about it something else that I wanted people to take away is that you're you're not at the mercy of health problems there are lots of things we can do to manage our health in the way that we do you know physical health our mental health we can do the same so um, you know that's where the the book becomes a sort of toolbox really of there are lots of small things you can do none of them are the silver bullet you know there's not one thing you do that makes life all okay but you build up this collection of tools you take with you and when life throws stuff at you you can rummage around in the toolbox and think right what now what what's going to help me get through this particular time and with those tools you feel more able and you feel more confident to manage your own Uh, mental health through really difficult times I I guess I wanted it to be a a hopeful thing that people could feel empowered to to manage 
uh, independently, but also seek the support when they need it. And it absolutely does that. And thank you so much. And thank you so much for coming on and talking to us today. It's been fantastic. And I am sure if you're listening to this, you will have already seen Dr. Julie Smith's TikTok, Instagram, but could you just share where people can find you just in case they haven't? Yeah. So on Instagram, I'm, I'm Dr. Julie. Um, and uh, on uh, YouTube as well, that's a good uh, place to go because I'm putting some sort of longer videos with more details in and stuff like that. So either, you know, YouTube or Instagram is a good place to start. Uh, but yeah, no, thanks so much for having me. It's been great. And of course, don't forget your book, which is Why Has Nobody Told Me This Before? And that's out now. Thank you so much. It's been wonderful. And I hope we'll speak again soon. Same. Thank you for listening to I Am, I Have. Don't forget to check out the counselling directory or download the free Happiful app. And we'd really love it if you could rate, review and subscribe to our podcast too. And before you go, I wanted to let you know that on the Happiful app, we have information about where you can find mental health support if you need it. And if you need immediate help, Samaritans are open 24 hours a day, seven days a week on 116-123 or you can email joe at samaritans.org. Help is available. This podcast is hosted and produced by me, Lucy Donoghue for Happiful. I hope you'll listen again soon.